to shoot a break 90 out there from the back tees. Yeah. Uh, that might not be easy. Might not. That's, that's interesting. I don't like your chances, Hound Dog. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Houndog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 83, the Tiger Woods edition of the podcast. How incredible was it to see him compete in the Masters, playing 72 holes, even if it wasn't the result that he wanted. It was just so cool to see him recover from a devastating leg injury in the car crash over a year ago to play the Masters. Why is 83 significant to Tiger? Well, he and Sam Snead both have 82 PGA Tour victories, the most all-time. When Woods wins again, it'll be title number 83, and he'll stand alone. He also has the most weeks ranked number one in the world for a whopping 683 weeks. Did you know he's 55-4 and all-time and holding at least a share of the lead after 54 holes? And 44 and 2 when holding the outright lead. That's pure insanity. It was amazing seeing him strolling the fairways at Augusta National again. And the Masters always signals the golf season being upon us in Canada. So I wanted to have on a guest who is the head of a golf travel company in Canada for some helpful tips on where to visit in our great country and around the world if you're looking for a golf excursion. Who knows? We may even have a chat about Tiger Woods as well. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on a very special guest, TJ Rule. He's the owner of Golf Away Tours, Canada's premier boutique golf travel company for nearly a quarter of a century. They were awarded the World Golf Awards Best Outbound Golf Tour Operator for Canada the last three years. I was fortunate to meet TJ by going on an epic golf trip to Spain last November, which I'm sure we'll get into. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, TJ. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's uh, good to chat. Yeah, it's uh, awesome and great to catch up again. I'm curious, how you got involved with Golf Away Tours? Well, it's a good question. Actually, I was um, originally an engineer, believe it or not, and uh, that's what I went to school for and then actually worked in the golf industry doing some environmental engineering. But I have a good buddy of mine that I played uh, university golf with, and he and I had always talked about getting into golf travel, and it was kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff, you know, like, yeah, it'd be fun to do someday. Um, but then, you know, he actually found himself out of a job at one point and thought, uh, you know, this is the time to look into it. Um, and I was kind of looking for a change at that point as well. So we decided to kind of start exploring some opportunities, uh, looked at maybe starting our own thing, but we actually found this company Golfway tours, which is, had existed for 20 years. Um, and the uh-huh. owner was, uh, was willing to chat. And, um, so we worked with him for a little bit and then, and then, you know, bought the company off him later that year. So, uh, that's how we got kind of the running start or rolling start into the industry, which really helps in terms of just, you know, some, uh, you know, the license obviously and the insurance and having some contacts in the industry. And so we didn't have to start completely from scratch and not knowing what we were doing. And, um, so it was, it was a nice start. We had some mentoring that went along with it and, uh, and it worked out well. Uh, unfortunately, my buddy, um, uh, wasn't, uh, it didn't, um, too long uh matt uh you know he decided to go into teaching and he's doing that now and actually we were just chatting today he's still a good friend and we play some golf together but um the industry wasn't for him so now it's uh, i've run with it since then and it's just been uh, it's been an adventure that's for sure and what's uh what can people expect by using uh the the, the golf way tours uh when whenever they uh, want to go on uh, on a golf trip yeah, the, the idea that we uh, bring to the table is that, you know, obviously we're looking after all the fine details, right? And there's a lot that goes into booking a, a golf trip. Now, a lot of people out there are probably look at, you know, listening, saying, I book my own trips, you know, I have no problem doing it. And some people like doing that. Um, but there are a lot of details, fine details that go into it. Um, and if people just don't want to spend all that time doing it, then, you know, that's what we're here for. And obviously we also get certain rates from, you know, from our suppliers and, and opportunities for access to golf courses and so on that other people might not get. So that's an advantage as well. But the, the most important thing for us is, uh, is really taking all that responsibility away from our clients, making sure that all those fine details are taken care of through the booking process and while they're on the ground there. So that when essentially they just have to, you know, pay us, pay us the money for the trip and then show up on the trip. And everything's taken care of. And they don't have to worry about anything while they're there. And that peace of mind that, that we give people is really what's important. That sounds uh, obviously amazing. And, and what, obviously, it must have been a huge challenge, uh, of course, in the uh, pandemic life the last couple of years. People obviously not traveling to different countries and such. Uh, how has that been uh, sort of having to, to deal with all that? 
Well, it hasn't been fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a challenge. Um, you know, obviously, two years ago we were. You know, in 2019, we had our best every year, and, and it was translating into an even busier year in 2020. So uh, things were on the up and up, and, and everybody was positive in our industry, and everything, nothing been had been better, really. And uh, obviously then, uh, mid-March in 2020, things all changed. Um, we had some people on the road at the time that we had to get home before, you know, borders were closed. And um, and then every booking from then on for, for all the rest of 2020 had to be kind of pushed to the following year, which they got pushed to this year. Um, so it's been a lot of juggling of trips um, and, and moving things around. And that's been done for the last two years up until up until the last few months. Uh, we haven't really had many people travel, um, obviously, especially internationally. Most of our most of our business is international travel. So it's sending Canadians and some Americans, you know, over to Ireland, Scotland, England, you know, Australia, wherever, Spain, Portugal. So, you know, with all those borders closed and, and plane, not being able to jump on a plane, uh, we didn't have much to do. So yeah. we uh, we did uh, we did pivot a little bit and did some Canadian stuff. So people were allowed to travel across the country. So we did a little bit of uh, a few Canadian bookings, but not a lot. Um, so it was mostly just you know, moving things around and, and, uh, and trying to move bookings the following year and, and make sure that people didn't want to cancel their trips. They just wanted to push it forward because they still want to go. Um, so that's what most of our last couple of years involved entailed. Um, you know, personally, it, it actually worked out okay for me. Uh, you know, the government obviously supported us as a small business quite a bit. So that, that certainly helped us keep the lights on. Uh, but we were a little bit quieter, obviously, but, uh, as you know, I have a little guy at home now and he's, he was born in, in 2018. And so when this thing hit, he was a year and a half old. And, uh, so I've been able to spend a lot of time with him over the last few years, which is a silver lining. So I can't complain, you know, we got through it. Um, and, and now we're busier than ever and, and it'll be a good rebound. That's awesome. And, and you said busier than ever. Is that this typically the time of year where people start to book all these trips or they do it more toward the end of the year or what, uh, when do you find business is sort of uh, pretty crazy? I would imagine it'd be pretty close to now. Yeah. You know what? It's now for this year, simply because people are really itching to go out and travel and they're finally realizing I can do this now. Let's book something. So that's why this time right now is, is very busy. Um, and things have changed a little bit in our industry. So, and because, because of lack of availability really. So, you know, if we're dealing with the big courses, for example, over in Ireland and Scotland, they used to, a lot of them used to open their tea sheets for the following year in like July, August, September. Um, you know, so there was a bit of time to pull some things together, but right now we're in a bit of a crunch to get people booking because at the beginning of May, a lot of the big courses are opening their books for 2023. So if wow. we don't have our requests in, in the next week or two for a September, 2023 booking, oh. we may not get a tea time. Wow. Right. And, and in fact, that's even the case with some courses already Muirfield, for example, uh, opened their tea sheets, you know, a month ago, and within a day they'd sold out their entire 2023 visitor bookings. So, you know, if you want to go to Muirfield for 2023, well, you can't right now. You got to book 24. So, because of that, I think this time of year is becoming more, becoming busier, obviously, because a lot of the bigger courses are opening their tea sheets. Um, in the past, it was always the fall. We we get a lot of bookings in September, October for the following year. Um, but this year, you know, it's, it's earlier on and people have to start booking, uh, you know, a year and a half in advance, which is kind of crazy, but it's just the way it is. I mean, obviously I knew you wouldn't be able to book within a week or so, but yeah, I wasn't thinking a year and a half in advance. Wow. That's uh, that's, that's good to know. Uh, especially for someone like me, who's not the greatest planner uh, of things. I oftentimes will, uh, wait till the last second or somewhere around that anyway, procrastinate big time. That's for sure. So, well, that's, yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, well, where, where have been some of your, your favorite places that you visited either in Canada or around the world for golf? Well, that, that's one thing that being in this industry, uh, you know, pretty lucky to be able to see a lot of really great golf destinations in the world. Um, you know, I, I've been to tons and I always, I always revert back to the obvious one. You know, my favorite place to go is St. Andrews and, mm. and it's not exactly going out on a, on a thin limb and saying that, but, uh, um, you know, because it is the home of golf. Uh, there's just a, a feeling you get when you're there. Um, it's just a magical place. And, and I still get goosebumps going to the town. I've probably been there 
you know, a dozen times and I still get goosebumps uh, going in there. And even I actually went two months ago. So I was there at the end of February, believe it or not. And uh, still excited to be there, even played around the golf. And, you know, it's just even in the middle of winter, it's it's a great place to be. So uh, St. Andrews would top the list. Um, it's a place that I'll never I'll never tire of going to. Uh, but there are lots of others. I mean, you know, I've been able to go to Australia and New Zealand, which are both incredible. Uh, New Zealand in particular, you know, has some absolutely spectacular golf courses. Interesting. You know, my, uh, Cape Kidnappers and Cowrie Cliffs are, are two courses that would just blow people away with their, their setting and right on the coast and, you know, up high with incredible vistas. And, uh, and they're both great golf courses. And just, you know, the people there and just the atmosphere and kind of laid back. And it's just, it's just a beautiful place to visit. Uh, so New Zealand is would be on the list. And then, you know, thinking of other places, like Ireland, obviously, is, is oh, a no-brainer. It's it's yes. probably my favorite play, country to go to for golf uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and people always say to me, you know, which, which do you prefer, Scotland or Ireland? Because we do, you know, we probably do about two-thirds of our business to those two, those two countries. So that's, that's the majority of what we do. And it's a tough question to answer. And, and, you know, I love them both. I think the differentiation really for me is the people and not that the Scots aren't good people because they are, but the, the Irish just go that extra mile. You know, I, I always say they're very, very proud of their country and proud to show it off. And so when you go there, they're just so welcoming and they want you to be there and you just, you feel that. And so for that reason, I think I, I'd choose, um, I, I'd choose Ireland over Scotland very, very, very slightly because the golf is exceptional in both. Um, and you know, the, even the food is great in both nowadays. Uh, you know, it's hard to go places nowadays and, and not find good food. They didn't used to be known for food. Um, uh, but nowadays you have to have good food for, for tourism. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so those places are awesome. And then speaking of food and the last destination I got to touch on, because it, I'm kind of going like in different parts of the world here, but, um, if, if people are looking to get away in the winter, um, by far my favorite destination is Casa de Campo. And I, I beat their drum a lot because I love the, the, the resort. In Dominican Republic, not far from Punta Cana. Um, I've been know, to Dominican a, Republic a couple times for golf trips. Yeah, Punta Cana, and uh, it was awesome there. Yeah, but Casa de Campo in particular. Have you been there? Casa no, no, I haven't been there. So you got to get there. It's it's a, it's just different. It's not a typical all inclusive resort where it's like on one property and you know you get your one beach or whatever. This is like a town, so it's seven thousand acres and it's got all kinds of villas and there's four golf courses on the property and there's a marina and there's a beach club and um you know it's just this massive property and you get a golf cart when you get there and you can just boot around the whole thing <laughs> you know the whole time you're there and then there's six restaurants that are included in like our all inclusive package and they're all the food is spectacular. So it's just it's just a really cool place for a winter destination. That's my favorite. So, um, yeah, those are my kind of my favorite destinations in the industry. I think uh, that sounds fun. The uh, I mean, of course you had mentioned Ireland previously. That's the country uh, that I most want to visit so much. I just the way I view it is obviously the golf is incredible there. So green. The locals just being absolute beauties, as you said. And then of course Guinness. Do you do you agree? Uh, do you like Guinness? Because I, I I've been told it's like. It's, I, I love it here, but I hear I hear it's incredible over there. You know what? So Guinness is my drink of choice uh, everywhere. It's what I – in terms of, of beer. Um, I don't drink any other beer, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, it's – people have asked me that before as well. Is it, does it taste better over there? Of course it does. It, it tastes mm-hmm. better in Ireland for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's not transported as far. We still get – the Guinness we get here in Canada actually comes from Dublin. So it comes from the, the same spot, but – um, you know, because it's had to tra- travel and, and most of, most importantly, because people don't necessarily pour it properly here, mm. um, which, which is a big thing, right? If you, if, you know, over there, they pride themselves on pouring it properly. Uh, it's supposed to take two or two or two and a half minutes to pour a Guinness or something like that. Really? Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to take your time. Right. So in order for it to, to get that, you know, perfect, perfect pint. Um, so, but it's funny because First time I went over there, I thought, well, yeah, it's, it's better over here. But is it because I'm on vacation? Because you know mm-hmm. how everything tastes better when you're on vacation? That's good point. Right? Good point. Yeah. So, you know, you ask anybody, what's your favorite meal? And, and inevitably, they're going to choose sometime they were on vacation, right? So, uh, and same thing with, with Guinness. But then then I came back here and, and had a Guinness in my local pub. And I'm like, no, no, actually, it was better over there. You know, I, I, can, I noticed a difference when I came back. But, um, yeah, it's it's a great drink. There's a, the, the Guinness storehouse 
in uh, in Dublin, which is where they where they make the Guinness and and they have a, a tourist attraction there, which is actually the tallest building in in Dublin. It's only seven stories tall. Um, but the tour there is is amazing, and a lot of our clients uh, do go on that tour. Um, and so the tour itself, you know, you go through all the seven floors, and in the top one is called the Gravity Bar, and it's a bar where they give you a, t- a ticket for a pint of Guinness, and it's a 360 glass bar, so you can see the entire city. Uh, it's a pretty special place to go. So that's a uh, you know a great uh, adventure and experience when you're in Dublin. Oh, I need to definitely. That's the next trip I think for me, Ireland for sure. And I'm so glad about about Guinness specifically. I I had it once many 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 moons ago and absolutely hated it. Which I find a lot of people have that initial reaction because obviously it's different from other uh, beers. But then uh, a few years after that, a bartender accidentally I asked for like a Keith's or something, and they gave me a, a Guinness. And I'm using unless it's like something. I'm usually really bad at being like, actually, that, that that's wrong. Like, you know, make that right. I'm usually just like, ah, oh, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. Honestly, yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. So I, I tried it and I loved it. I'm like, what was they thinking not liking that before? So it's so funny. I'm so thankful for that because otherwise I would not have that experience of the Guinness. It's just it's just the best. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And it is an acquired taste and some people don't love it. But for me, it's uh, it's the best for sure. Absolutely. Well, you obviously mentioned all those places that you have been to that you loved. Is there a bucket list, uh, either course or country that you haven't been to yet? Oh, lots of places still, still to, uh, still to explore for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the one trip I'd love to do, and it's, it's not going to be in the near future. Um, and maybe I do it when my son's a bit older and, and we can do it together. Um, but it's touring around sort of the hidden gems of, of Ireland and Scotland. You know, the Lynx course is that, that aren't sort of top of mind uh, and the ones I haven't played. I've been lucky enough to play pretty much all the top courses, all the courses that we send all our clients to, because it was important for me to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've ticked all those boxes. Um, but, you know, if you, if you ever read Tom Coyne's book, uh, a course called Ireland, and he's, he's followed up with one on, on Scotland as well. Um, you know, he goes through playing all these kind of hidden gems and, and he wanted to play all the links courses in Ireland. And, um, and so, you know, some of them, some of those experiences he describes, uh, are experiences that I want to have, you know, where you're going to a small town where, you know, there's no visitors really, cause nobody goes there to play that golf course. It's not really well known, but you know, the experience you get, it's still awesome links golf. You're playing with locals, you're hanging out in the pubs with locals. Um, that kind of trip is certainly high on my bucket list. Again, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but I can't wait to do it. It's going to be you know, an incredible adventure and story and, uh, and create some incredible lifelong memories. Right. So, um, that would be high on the list. Uh, and then in terms of other destinations, I haven't been to countries I haven't been to or, uh, areas of the world, you know, Argentina actually is on my list. There's a lot of great golf down there. Some, some old golf, even, uh, some great architects have designed courses down there. So to go down there and see that and, and drink some great wine, obviously, and the food and the culture, um, I never been to South America, so that that would be on my list for sure. Um, and then another one I could think about off the top of my head is uh, is Hawaii. I've never been to mm, Hawaii. And yeah, I like the idea of the laid back atmosphere there and the way of life, and, um, and then the golf. Obviously, you know, in early January we could see a couple courses, watch the PGA Tour, but uh, it would be fun to go play some of those courses in the dramatic uh, scenery and and uh, and landscape there. I think that would be. Uh, that would be incredible too. Yeah, no, Hawaii. Whenever they play, the, of course, the start of the PGA Tour season, the first two events in Hawaii at uh, the start of the calendar year, it's always like, it just looks incredible, especially when we're uh, buried deep in snow. Uh, yeah, Hawaii would be absolutely I know, I know. And you, you know what I've always thought? Like, if I ever, you know, when I win the lottery, because it's going to happen, obviously. Someday, obviously, yeah. Um, but when I win the lottery, uh, you know, my plan is to do, I'd love to do one year hitting sporting events around the world. So wouldn't that be awesome? It's like, okay, it starts obviously with golf in Hawaii because that's January 1st. You go there, you watch the tournament of champions, um, you know, maybe stay for the second week as well. And then I guess from there, you got to go to Australia for the Australian Open. Uh, and then somehow you got to come back and watch the Super Bowl because you got to get all the big events in. But like, imagine circumnavigating the globe for, for you know, with all the big sporting events throughout the year. <laughs> it would just be, wouldn't that be a dream trip? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Man, I, I can only imagine uh, by the end of that calendar year, uh, I probably uh, would not be super healthy by the end of that with all the, the great food and drinking everything like that. Everything like that, that is true. Oh, man, it would be so, so good. Obviously, you'd have to go to, in April, you'd obviously have to go to the Masters. 
Uh, and right. I, I mean, that's a, that's one of those, duh, of course, you'd love to play that that, that course. Um, I've always had this, uh, I've told um, our, uh, Adam Scully, who I went on the trip with, with you to Spain, I've always uh, told him this um, scenario that I've built up for the Masters, which I've always thought would be really cool. Um, so every year would be a new person that would qualify, but they're not a professional that, that's qualifying for the tournament. And so it would just be so fun to see how cool would it be to say it's me, for example, and I, I am given a 100-shot lead at the start of the tournament, the Masters, and I'm trying to hold on to this lead throughout the four days of the tournament, or to you, for example, would you be able to hold on to a 100-shot lead uh, if given that at the start of the tournament uh, for the Masters? 100 shots, so 25 shots around. And then obviously the pros might shoot maybe 10 under, 12 under, something like so that. So 10 today, under so. this year with Scheffler, right? So 10 under this year with Scheffler. So you have a 90-shot lead. So 90 over, which means essentially you know, worse than bogey golf, but you know, you get the, an extra 80 shots to play with. So, um, so I'd have to shoot like, what is it? 94, Something 94 like, each round. Yep. Now, you know, I, I'm a decent stick. Like I, um, you know, I'm, for sure. I'm a scratch or a, or a one. Um, I like to think now I don't hit it very far. So, you know, playing off those back tees, I'd be, I'd be hitting third shots into a lot of par fours. Um, and, but I like to think that, you know, my, my putting and my short game is good. And I know it'd be tricky around there, but, uh, but that's the strength of my game. I think I could, I think it'd be close. I think it'd be close. But for me, yeah, the shoot, the break 90 out there from the back tees, whew, yeah. that, that might not be easy. Might not, that's, that's interesting. I don't like your chances, huh, Doug? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the, well, I, I just love the thought of having a player do that. It would just be so much fun to see them. Like, I, I would, you know, probably shoot 150 the first day, but uh, it would just be so fun to, to see someone like, you know, Make a triple bogey in the very first hole of the tournament, and all of a sudden it's like, holy crap! You know, you're you're already sweating over a 97 shot lead. It'd be so much fun uh, to have a, a random. You're like, all right, I gained some ground. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun. I'll tell you, it'd be amazing. Oh yeah, no, love to be, try it. Yeah, that would be. Uh, well, one day uh, when I qualify for the Masters, I'll, I'll qualify for that fashion. Somehow, I'll, I'll convince them to do that to do that uh, as part of the tournament, and then uh, then you'll see. It'd be a good story, right? <laughs> so much yeah. fun. Um, well, back to, uh, caddy for you. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, back to Canada golf. Uh, I didn't mention earlier, is there any like hidden gems, uh, in Canada that you'd want to go to? I, I've, i many, many years ago with my family, I went out East and golf like PEI in Nova Scotia. It looked just, it was amazing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to play as much as I, w- I would have loved to have out there, but PEI is just spectacular. Yeah. You know what it is. And, and again, it goes along with that theme of, just you know laid back and great people and you know comfortable and you know a great spot to be and there is some great golf out there absolutely and we you know everybody knows cabin out there in the east coast and you know it's become so popular in the last little while and it drives a lot of golf tourism out there which has been great for for the area great for us as well so i've gotten to learn a little bit more about the you know nova scotia and pei golf uh, as a result uh, in fact we're just just before we jumped on the call we were just uh, just working on a trip for in pei um and yeah there's some great golf there um you know people typically know uh crowbush cove it's been ranked in the top 10 in canada um but you know there are other great courses there and in dunder raven brudenell and glasgow hills and there's just you know there's some you could go for a week there and easily you know play play enough great golf to uh, to make it worthwhile and then then you get into nova scotia and you know beyond Cabot uh, and even Highlands Links, which obviously most people know as well, and, and you know is is the must play out there. There's some great golf out there as well, and uh, um, you know we get we get a lot of our clients adding on to, with golf in in and around Halifax as well, um, and you know all across the country. We're lucky in this country to have so much variety in our golf, and I the one thing I've learned in being in this business now for for ten years is uh, you know, we're, we're spoiled here in Canada. We don't know it. Or, or people around the world don't know it either. Um, you know, they don't know how good Canadian golf really is. You know, we've got obviously the East Coast, which you know, a lot of people know of now, and it's becoming more popular. You get into like Quebec where you get the Tromblon courses, which are spectacular. Even just in Ontario itself, like when you think of the, well, the private courses around Toronto are great, but then, you know, the, the variety of courses in Niagara and then up to Muskoka, you get people from around the world going up to Muskoka and playing that, that type of golf, they'd be blown away, right? Blown away. And such great 
variety, but but also great conditioning and um, spectacular courses. And then you get out to the West Coast, obviously, where you're in the mountains. And, um, you know, you've got great golf in and around Calgary and Banff, but out in Kelowna. And that's one area that I think is, um, you know, it's a lot more known now than it, than it was before. But the quality of golf and the number of golf courses you got in Kelowna. Um, again, you can, you can be there for a week or two and play different course every day and, uh, and not be disappointed. So yeah, we're, we're very lucky in Canada that we have such incredible golf. I just wish our season was a little longer. Yeah. Um, without question, I worked actually the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge in the uh, summer of 2005 and oh my God, like obviously Banff is uh, very, very well known. Everyone loves it, but, uh, and I never, I unfortunately never got to go to play Banff. Uh, Springs, but uh, the Jasper course was just in, just immaculate. I just love how some of the holes were relatively simple, and other ones were just treacherous, treacherously hard. And uh, the views—you can play golf. I remember playing to like eleven at night in the summer there. Oh my god! Have you have you uh, been to Jasper? I have, but you know what? Only once. It was about fifteen years ago. I got to get back. But in fact, I'm, I'm think I'll be going later this summer, which is great. But uh, and the problem with it is so remote, isn't it? I mean, it's so far yeah. from Edmonton, it's far from Banff, it's far from everything. But worth the drive because, like, like you said, great variety of holes out there. Um, you know, obviously, very um, historic type of golf course, Stanley Thompson design, and one of his best. And you know, been ranked even top five in Canada in the score ratings. So it's um, it's pretty spectacular, uh, and I can't wait to get back up there again to play it. You were lucky to be there for for a whole summer of playing it a bunch. That's awesome. Oh, man, yeah. It was like I would play like two times a day. I remember one day I played, I think it was 47 holes, uh, and unfortunately I got, then I got dark, so I had to stop. But, uh, man, I love it so much there. It was uh, That's awesome. just an unbelievable place. Uh, have you ever – who are um, some of the cool people you've met uh, through your uh, – you know, through the golf uh, tours? I'm sure you've uh, come across quite a few uh, interesting characters definitely interesting characters yeah absolutely um you know it's uh, during the travels itself i you know i haven't just run into to random people but just being in the industry in the golf industry i've been lucky to to meet some cool people you know down the pga show for example in orlando um got a chance to meet brooke henderson down there and a quick chat with her which was cool this was actually right when she turned pro uh, back what was that five six years ago um you know one one of the cool experiences that i that I do every couple of years is a, is a trip over to Scotland that involves curling and golf. Um, cause Scotland, obviously home of both sports and kind of just, it just ties together so nicely. And, um, so I've done three trips and I'm doing another one this year and I, and I've brought along some, if you will, curling celebrities in Canada, uh, people around the world might not know them, but as Canadians, we, most of us know them. And, you know, the first uh, couple of years I went with, uh, with Cheryl Bernard, uh, you know, he was Olympian in, in 2010 and uh, um, and been on TSN quite a bit doing their, their broadcasts, along mm-hmm. with Brian Mudrick, who came with us as well. He did the broadcast yeah. as well. And, Love that and guy. Montreal Canadians play-by-play. So, yeah, um, yeah. Past uh, yeah, guest so, on this podcast, actually, Brian Mudrick. Oh, there you go. Great guy. One of my good friends. And uh, was an amazing host on that, both of them, on that on that trip. And the last time we had the trip in 2019, it was uh, Glenn Howard and John Morris. So, you know, some pretty... Um, you know, popular guys in the curling world. And, and, but the thing is, is, curlers are just such normal people and you get to know them and end up being just good buddies, right? And, uh, you know, I ran into them. They were all in town for the players last week and, and ran into them and just had a, had a few beers and, and catching up on, on old times. And Glenn's going to be coming back again this year on the trip in October uh, with, with Wayne and Sherry Madaw as well. So it's going to be an incredible trip. So that's pretty cool. It's been pretty cool, like getting to, getting to know a lot of the curlers because I'm a big curler myself. And, uh, and big fan and uh, you know of all those uh, guys and girls and, and have watched them over the years so um, yeah getting to know them has been pretty cool but uh, but also getting to, to meet some some golfers down at the PGA show like I said like you know this year uh, um, uh, who was it uh, shoot I'm blanking on the name now John, so John Daly <laughs> no 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 uh, Paul McGinley so Paul McGinley was there oh, yeah, he's stand. great uh, you know, just had, just met him briefly. I didn't chat with him much, but you know, just getting to meet people down there and uh, is it, pretty neat. Uh, I really, uh, I really enjoy that. Yeah, no, uh, Paul McGinley, of, uh, of course, great on Golf Channel. Uh, him and Brandel Chambly going back and forth uh, from the live from the Masters and the Players Championship. They've had some great debates. He's obviously also a former Ryder Cup captain for Europe uh, and also a Spaniard, which is, uh, I guess, a good segue. Wrong, Hound Dog. Wrong. He's Irish. 
Definitely not a Spaniard. Nice try on the segue, though. Into our trip to Spain, of course. Uh, it's it's going to be hard for you to pick, I'm sure, your favorite moment of that trip because uh, there was there were plenty of uh, choices. But, uh, yeah, what was the, the fave aspect of uh, that trip with just a bunch of awesome, awesome dudes? Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. You hit the nail on the head right there. I think it was just the camaraderie and the people we had on the trip, right? I mean, 12 of us that uh, – got along so famously right it was just so easy obviously a lot of the pros that came along knew each other and i knew you know seven or eight of them so um so most of them you know before we went on the trip but it was just so easy wasn't it to hang out with with everybody and uh you know it was the easiest trip i've ever led um of a group you know like obviously when we're on these trips you know there's some work involved in terms of the coordination and, and logistics and everything while you're there and sometimes groups can be, you know, can be a little bit more difficult to, to handle. This one was the easiest group. I've, I, like, I didn't have to do anything. The group was just unbelievable. Great people. No pretenses. Everybody just wanted to be there and have a good time. Um, so that was that was the highlight to me was how easy it was and how, how great it was to hang out. I didn't want it to end. You know, it was, no. it was just a, a great group of people. But beyond that, like... Uh, like the food blew me away. Like I'd been there before, oh. obviously, but the meals that we had, right. Weren't we spoiled? It was, <laughs> um, you know, the food was unbelievable. Uh, you know, the wine that went with it, the food experiences we had that one dinner that we had at the, at the new hotel, Maison Adois in, in Marbella, um, was one of the most memorable meals I've ever had. And going back to what I mentioned earlier, you know, favorite meals being when you're on vacation. Well, this was one of them, right? This, this would be on the list. Um, you know, what was it, a nine course tasting menu or something with a different glass of wine with each one? And, uh, it was, uh, that was pretty special. So, um, that, um, you know, the last night we were there when we were hanging out with that Nobu and uh, having some drinks and, and the, the entertainment we saw there in, in that bar area was pretty awesome. And, um, and then, you know, that's not even talking about the golf. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the golf is Valderrama. You know, Valderrama. Yeah. Valderrama, like, which is, you know, the third time I got to play it, luckily, and and I like it every more every time I played it. And it was it was tough, right? Like they had they had what, uh, well, they had the DP World Tour there the month before, but the greens were still running. I don't know, thirteen, I'd say. Like how many people? I think two or three people putted it into the pond on seventeen. Um, the greens were insane, and uh, but so much fun, and what a great track to play. And and that's only one of five that we played that were awesome, right? So. Uh, lots of great aspects of that trip. Uh, I was so happy you came along. It was great to have you out there and, and to play golf with you. We got to play Valderrama together, which was pretty special. Um, and it was a really memorable day. Yeah, I made a birdie on one of those holes, which uh, overshadows the first few holes. I'm sure the four caddy was like, oh, my God, what a... What am I getting myself into this guy? It was a struggle. I just realized in this interview, I said, I wanted to go for the cool segue by saying, oh, yeah, Paul McGinley's Spaniard. Well, speaking of Spanish, Paul McGinley is Irish. So I don't know what the heck He's I was Irish. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, but More. I thought I'll let it ride. Yeah, no, no, no. I, re- I realized that like five <laughs> seconds later. I'm like, that's that's a worst epic fail of a segue ever. Of course, Paul McGinley's Irish. You <laughs> clown, Harrison. The one thing that I forgot to mention that was uh, that was a really a highlight to me it was right at the beginning of the trip when we got to the first hotel. And it was the first evening. And we didn't have time to play golf because it was, you know, later in the day. But we all went out to the putting green mm. and had a game of stymie and uh, had a few beers with us. And, you know, obviously got to know everybody there and played this fun game. And, like, to me, that that kind of, a, of experience on a golf trip is just memorable, right? It's not things that are planned. It's just something that you just go out and do and hang out and have a beer. And it was uh, – that's another memorable part of the trip for me. Yeah. What, no. were, you, what were your highlights? Well, that, that I definitely love that. I, actually, I, I wish we would have done a few other times. That was so much fun, that stymie game. It's uh, incredibly fun, but yeah, kind of a little bit challenging. You, you're trying not to hit other uh, players' golf balls, and of course, there's 12 golf balls around a hole, so it's it makes it, uh, obviously, that's that's the name, stymie, so that was a, a huge highlight. Yeah. Um, actually, I would say the, uh, the one of the best shots of my life, which I never saw, was on a, on a par five. On I think it was the second last round we played. And I hit the ball in unplayable lies, so I had a drop hitting three on a par five. Uh, hit it to the fairway, fourth shot. The green was way, way high elevation, uh, high, highly elevated, so I couldn't even see the hole. I hit it, I think it was about 20 feet right of the hole. My playing partners were on the green itself, but I was uh, still, of course, hitting my shot. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. And I guess the ball just slowly trickled all the way into the hole, but I didn't even see it. I wish I would have ran up uh, for a birdie. So I, uh, on an unplayable lie hole, I made a birdie uh, from the fairway. That was just absolutely oh, amazing. Just wish I had actually <laughs> actually seen it, you know? 
What's your uh, favorite shot? Best shot you've ever hit uh, of your life? Have you had any hole in ones? I have. Yeah, I have. I've had uh, four ish. Um, four ish. Uh, I, well, I say ish because I, I played at Scarborough. And we have a nineteenth hole there. One of them was there, so some people wouldn't, wouldn't count that for me. But um, beyond that, so I've got you know three others. But um, uh, but none of them are actually my my favorite shot. I actually have a favorite shot that's kind of a different one, and it's it was a. I go for a, um, a trip with a bunch of guys every year. It's a tradition. It's our 20th year this year. Kind of do a little Ryder Cup format. It's a bunch of guys from up in Sault Ste. Marie and, and some guys from down here. And, uh, now we sort of we meet, we meet in Michigan uh, most years and um, and play some of the great courses up there. And um, you know it's just an awesome awesome time. Obviously, I'm looking forward to, to going again next month. But we're at a, a, a resort. Um, uh, in uh, which resort was it? Tullamore. And uh, I was actually, I was on this par three and I hit it in the bunker and I had this downslope in the bunker and the bunker was maybe four feet below the green level wise. And the pin was, I was short sighted myself. So I had nothing. Um, but you know what? They were in there tight. We were playing match place. I'm like, well, I got to try something. So I actually hit a seven iron out of the bunker, chunk and run, ran it up the slope up the face of the bunker, trickled onto the green and went in the hole for birdie. <laughs> so I still, because it was actually planned and executed and I actually hit it the way I wanted to and it went in, you know, it, like it is probably a one in a hundred. Like I obviously got lucky, but uh, it's a shot that I always remember. And, and I think it's the best shot I've ever hit, even though it was, a, you know, a 30 foot bunker shot. But It's funny. And I, uh, my favorite was I used to play um, my brother-in-law's parents. They had a, a timeshare in, in Gulf Shores, Alabama for a number of years. And they'd say, yeah, come down in, the, in like March or whatever and play as much golf you want. So I'd play like 18 rounds in 10 days, which was obviously uh, incredible. Awesome. And uh, it was actually one of the rounds I was playing by myself. So, But there, there's a good part of the story, and then there's the sad part of the story. Yeah, I was in this ferry bunker that was super, super deep at, at uh, Kiva Dunes in, uh, in Alabama. Hit this immaculate bunker shot from like 140 yards to like a foot and a half or something along those lines. Like I've I've never hit a, a better. I don't feel as as good a shot as that one. And I remember the last thing I thought of when I took the putter back. On, it's an unmissable putt. It's such a short putt for birdie, and then I missed the putt. So. Uh oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> it was like the the greatest shot, which no one saw because I was by myself. Followed by the worst putt you've ever seen in your life, and it was like, oh my god! But, you know, when you said you hit it to a foot and a half, I was jokingly going to say, "Did you make the putt?" Oh, geez. Yeah, I missed it. <laughs> I just, I just a little too confident, I guess, on that one, which is hilarious. Yeah, there you go. It happens. It happens. By the way, I saw yeah. on your social media uh, that you have a, uh, a a golf chipping green in your backyard. How amazing is that? Oh my god, I'm so jealous. You know what? Best thing, uh, best thing I, I, I've done. You know, in terms of an investment in my house, like. Um, my, my little guy, uh, he's three and a half now and, and absolutely loves golf and just, oh, that's cool. uh, loves out being out putting and chipping. And we were at my, a buddy of mine last year and he has a putting green and, and we were at his place and I couldn't get Julian off the green. And so I thought, you know what, uh, I'm going to look into this and, uh, you know, found a great company, AGL grass, uh, that, you know, came in and did an incredible job. They actually installed it in mid December. They were so busy last year. They went all the way into December installing it. Luckily, the day they installed it, it was like 16 degrees in mid-December, oh, nice. which, which was nice. Um, and they did an incredible job, and it looked so good. And yesterday, they came in to do a little spring cleanup on it. And uh, you know what's the it's the best thing? Because my backyard has massive trees. I couldn't grow any grass back there. Uh, didn't get any sunshine. You know, it's it's just kind of at this time of year, it would just be like a mud pit. You know, like and you can't go out and use it. You can't. It, it was unusable. And so... Now, like even last month, we had a nice day in March and, uh, you know, it was probably 10 degrees and sunny and Julian and I are out there and we're playing soccer and rolling around on the grass and it's dry and it's clean and it's, and you can use it. So not just the golf part of it, but you can go out and just use it year round. And, but the chipping and putting is, is awesome just to be able to go out there and, and chip and putt a little bit with my little guy. It's, uh, it's a dream. I love it. I can't wait for, I, I still haven't seen it in nice weather <laughs> right yeah to, to see it in summer you know we're out there in the evenings just uh you know chipping and button or throwing a baseball around or whatever so uh i'm pretty excited about it i hope uh one day in my lifetime i become uh filthy rich and i and not only a, a chipping green uh, in my backyard but i'm able to have like um, a par three in my backyard that <laughs> that'd be just amazing yeah I have different tee boxes for it so it's a lot you know different yardages and stuff oh man well, you've seen like uh what was it like 
Dave Pels has an incredible backyard. Jim Nance has an incredible backyard. Those guys like have multiple holes and greens and like <laughs> an island green for sawgrass and like whatever. Like you see some of these backyards that people have. You know, obviously they've got a heck of a lot more property than <laughs> than any of us. But uh, yeah, that would be that would be a dream. I'm with you there, man. Yeah, that would be just the best thing of all time. Uh, and well, speaking of that, uh, of course, I touched on the Masters earlier. How uh, how awesome was it to see Tiger Woods back competing and actually play 72 holes at the Masters a few weeks ago? I I mean, I'm a huge Tiger fan. Uh, you know, I don't hide that fact. I've, I've been a huge Tiger fan. All along, um, love watching him play and have been, you know, rooting for him on his comeback trail, you know, every step of the way. And for him to, to come back and play, you know, just 14 months after nearly dying and, and you know, having, having his leg in the condition it's in. And he knew he wasn't going to, like, I mean, I, I didn't think he was going to compete. For him to make the cut, I thought was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You could tell by Sunday he was pretty tired and limping. You know, you could see his, his gait walking off the 18th green on Sunday was a little bit different than it was, you know, Thursday or Friday. Um, but just for him to, to be out there playing and and really enjoying it, you could tell he was enjoying it, even though he, uh, you know, didn't play well on the weekend. But um, <clears throat> I loved it. I mean, just Tiger and the Masters go uh, hand in hand and, you know, it, it there shouldn't be a Masters without him as long as he can, uh, as long as he can walk, right? Uh, the fact that he made the cut uh, so handily too, it wasn't even like he made it on the number, was obviously uh, really cool. And yeah, the, I thought basically for the most part, anyway, his uh, long game was pretty darn good. Of course, the putting was a huge struggle, especially on the weekend. But that's something that's uh, you know that could be cleaned up or whatever. And you know, I hope, to co- of course, we see him uh, at every major going forward. Here, he said he's not obviously not going to be playing a full schedule. Uh, you know, ever again, but he never really played a huge full schedule to begin with. It was always around 15 events or 20 at most or something. So I hope it doesn't mean just the majors. I'd love to see him play like maybe, you know, seven or eight or something like that. Get a little bit sharp in between majors, you know, you know maybe uh, the Memorial well, or he, Bay Hill or that type of thing. Yeah, that's it. Right. And there'll probably be events like that, that he's, you know, had a lot of success with in the, in the past and maybe a world golf championship event here and there. Um, but you're right. He, I think he needs that. Uh, repetition in, in, in competition in order to kind of get back at it with, with the short game and, and so on. Cause that was the rusty part, obviously um, during the masters. And um, you know, if he can, if he can clean that up and play a few more events, it'd be great. It's awesome that he said he's going to the open championship mm-hmm. um, for him to, obviously it's, it'd be easier walk for him. Uh, not only is it flat, but it's also, you know, firm ground. So you're not, it's not soft. You're not, uh, it's not a hard walk, right? It's a very easy walk. So hopefully that helps him obviously. Um, and like you said, his, his long game has been really good. And, and it's crazy now to think like you watch him swing. It doesn't look like he's swinging that hard or laboring, you know, even when he was younger and he hit the ball a long way and longer than most other players, it always felt like he was trying to hit it a long way. You know, he used swinging hard, but now it seems like he's swinging all in control and still hitting it, you know, up, you know, with the younger guys in the 300 yards, which I find unbelievable. Um, so for him to be able to do that and maybe just, just groove that little butter cut that he has with his driver and, and uh, uh, you know, and keep the ball in play as long as he's got the ball in play off the tee, you know, and, you know, like you said, gets the short game back. Who knows? He could compete at St. Andrews. He really could. Absolutely. Um, it'll be, it'll probably have a lot to do with the weather that they get that week. And um, if it's, if it's really bad, it probably doesn't favor him. Uh, but uh, I'm excited. I'm going to be there for the for the Open this year, 150th Open, the oh, first one I've ever been to. Sweet. Um, and I'm really super excited about that and uh, being able to see uh, being able to see him hold to it. Yeah, of course, Tiger of course winning uh, two different major or two uh, different Opens at uh, St Andrews. John Daly also won there in 1995. So I'm calling a John Daly Tiger Woods playoff for the Open Championship, which would break the universe in the in the internet. That would just be. Of course, that's not actually going to happen with Daly, but you think that would be a story? Yeah, that would would be okay. It's easy to forget, but in 2005, when Tiger did win uh, for the second time at St. Andrews, him and Daly were like one, two on the Saturday round for the first six, six, eight holes on Saturday. And I was like, holy crap, this is going to be absolutely bonkers. And unfortunately, I think Daly finished 15th, like he fell off a little bit. But uh, yeah, to see them go back toe to toe, of course, they've gone, uh, they were in a playoff uh, in a WGC event, which still breaks my heart. Uh, that uh, daily missed like a two footer to lose the tiger, but like to see those two, uh, I wish there wish there was more of uh, you know opportunities for them to go toe to toe in in the past, just because like obviously that would just would be a crazy uh, rock concert whenever they played against each other. Absolutely, it didn't happen often, did it? They didn't really. Uh... 
yeah, compete that that closely in any in any events other than that one you talked about. I can't think of any others. Well, the one that did the 2004 Buick Invitational at Daily won uh, a Tiger, I think, finished tenth or something the like Tory? that. So Daily loves that yeah. one, yeah. And then there's actually there's another one that uh, the 2005 Buick Open, uh, or was it 2004? No, I think it's 2004. Daily, uh, the leaderboard was hilarious. These top four, unfortunately, VJ Singh won like nine times that year. So VJ won, unfortunately. Daily was second. Tiger was third. Fourth was Carlos Franco. So it was just like a oh, wow. uh, who's who of who. But you know, uh, yeah. So that that was another time they they went toe to toe there. But VJ got the better of them, unfortunately. Uh, what do you think about this? Uh, about the we're talking about the Masters earlier. I've always thought this. Uh, it's of course the only major where it's just a one hole playoff, and I've always hated that. And they used to play, it used to be, uh, it would start on hole 10, the playoff, then of course it would go to hole 11. Why not, why, how cool would it be if the Masters playoff was uh, around Amen Corner, holes 11, 12, 13? Oh, that'd be a dream, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, I, I'm with you there. And to finish on 13, like maybe, you know, in the conversation for best holes in the world. Um, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. That'd be unbelievable. And, you know, it's it's funny that, the, you know, the PGA, I think, still has four holes, don't they? And the in the Open Championship, those four? Uh, uh, open the PGA changed. No, the PGA changed. PGA's three. The U.S. Open's two holes now. It used to be 18 the next day. Now, U.S. Open's yeah. two holes. PGA's three. Open is four. Yeah. Open's four. Okay. So, if they did, if, even if they did four at the Masters, you could start on 10, right? And do 10 through 13. Um, yeah. What an unbelievable playoff that would be. Um, you know, and they, it's not like they don't have the daylight to do it. They don't have many players playing. They just have to start a bit earlier on the on the Sunday and, uh, and they can do it. So yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be amazing. I've, I've always wondered, uh, why they didn't decide to do that because like I said, uh, maybe it was, Oh, well, we don't want to, you know, it's a little bit further away from the course, but if you start on hole 10, like you said, actually it's even better. If you start on hole 10, that's, that's fine. Four hole playoff starting on hole 10, 10, 11, 12, 13. Oh, that would just be, I guess maybe after the winner, my, my thought perhaps, unfortunately, if the winner wins on 13, then it's going to be a, maybe a, I don't know the exact the exact property, but maybe a long walk back to the clubhouse. But uh, still, it is a long fun. walk. But uh, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure Augusta National could could sort that out. They, they're pretty good at the, at the, the logistics. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. I know obviously you're a a, a big uh, Maple Leafs fan. A couple of weeks away, we're getting pretty close here to the playoffs. Uh, I was talking to a couple of Leaf fans yesterday, and they were like, "Not not even thinking anything. They're going to lose in the first round again," which. They might, because it's so incredibly hard, the Eastern Conference. But it's like, they do have a really darn good team. Even if they do lose in the first round, of course, they'll be you know soul-crushing again. But it's not like they have some crappy team that limped into the playoffs. They're, they're a really good team. Do you think they finally get through the first round? And if, even if they do, they, they probably lose in the second round. It's just so damn tough. Isn't that the ultimate uh, Maple Leaf fan response, though, right? Yep. I yep. mean, it's just... We're so jaded, you know, like it's, uh, it's been so long, um, more than my lifetime since they won. And, uh, <laughs> it's easy to think that way. It's easy to think, oh, they got no chance. Right. And, um, they're on quite a run right now. I mean, obviously not quite the Florida run. Florida has been unbelievable. And, um, but you know what, it's all going to come down to, I guess, a couple things can, you know, can Jack Campbell actually, you know, play like he did earlier in the year, um, and, and be the goalie they need him to be. He doesn't need to be, um, you know, he doesn't need to be Martin Bardur. He doesn't need to be Patrick Wall in the playoffs, but he needs to be average. You know, mm-hmm. and if he's an average goaltender in the playoffs, I think they've got a decent chance because their, their offense is just that good. And obviously, you know, people are, you know, been saying all year that, you know, Matthews and Meyer don't show up in the playoffs. Well, they have to show up, and that's that's an obvious one. And I think one of the big things that that's going to, uh, determine that is whether or not they can draw penalties in the playoffs. And, and that's always been a tough thing for them, but their power play is so lethal that um, if they can, if they can win special teams, if they can get some, some play, power play opportunities, that'll go a long way to them, uh, you know, them winning a series. Uh, it looks like they would likely, will likely play Tampa. Well, it's either Tampa or, or Boston. Um, and, you know, both teams are tough. Obviously, Boston's been a nemesis and mm-hmm. an impossible team for them to beat in the playoffs over the last decade. But um, I, don't, I don't think either one of those teams scares me that much right now, even, even though Vasilevsky is the best, arguably the best goaltender with Shesterkin uh, in the world. But uh, uh, I still think they can handle both those teams, especially with the form those teams are on. Like Tampa hasn't been very good lately. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be the optimistic league fan. I'm going to say that they're going to win at least the series. And, uh, I, I really do think they will. And then we'll like likely come, come, uh, come up against Florida, which would be really tough. But 
way they've played Florida tough the last couple of times, you know, like uh, they beat them the once the, last, the second last time they played them. And then the last time they were what, up five, one and, and just ran out of gas. They, you know, they'd played in, nobody talks about it, but they'd played in Tampa the night before. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're on the road and they just ran out of gas and, uh, and didn't have a goaltender hold them and hold their lead. So, uh, but still got a point out of it and had a chance to win in overtime. So I honestly like their chances. I think they have, uh, a decent chance to get to the Stanley Cup final. I really do. And maybe that's just me being too optimistic, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I kind of like the fact that even despite the fact they have so, so many points and they've had a stellar year, there are still that, there's still that, that, that sort of that feeling, oh no, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. Because I, I've always thought like the Leafs aren't going to win the cup when everyone thinks they're going to win the cup. Like that's just not going to happen. They have to be doubted. And, you know, because, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. because of all their, of course, past failures there. And the other stat that I really do love is, of course, they've had some really big struggles against, you know, Arizona and Buffalo and Ottawa and some of these bad teams. But uh, of the of the top Montreal. four teams, uh, yep, Montreal as well, uh, of like Florida, Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, they're like the worst of those four teams against really bad teams, but they're the best against the really good teams, Toronto. Like they, they've uh, been able to rise their, raise their level of competition against the better teams. So hopefully that bodes well for the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. As Leaf fans, they probably will <laughs> very well lose in that first round, but I actually do feel uh, relatively confident that they, that they could do something, but... I honestly think that the winner of the Eastern Conference is just going to get crushed in the Cup Final. It'll be such a war to get to the Cup Final for that team that they're just going to get killed by maybe Colorado or something. Well, if Colorado waltzes through, then maybe. Uh, I'm with you because, I mean, they're a heck of a team, aren't they? I mean, uh, with maybe the best defenseman in the league and, and, and then that offense they've got and, and the speed they play at. And, uh, you know, if they if they waltz through and don't get beat up and then the Eastern Conference team, like you said, gets beat up, I I agree with you but i don't think colorado's a walk to get her to the west either so it's it'll be interesting to see you know uh, you know the stanley cup finals have been so unpredictable in the last number of years right mm-hmm. like who would have thought las vegas would make it to the stanley cup final in their in their inaugural season or who would have thought montreal would make it last year like yeah. it's just teams come out of nowhere so and, and if that's what toronto has to do to get there come out of nowhere in some people's minds then i'm all for it <laughs> and well the good the good news is it's um you know, it's it's a hockey playoff time, which is one of the most exciting times of the year, especially in this city, because, uh, you know, the city just goes nuts for, for Leafs hockey. You know, even if they're pessimistic, it's still the bars will be jam packed. You know, Maple Leaf Square will be rocking. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it for the first time in a couple of years. You know, you get that energy in the city again. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for this. Uh, it's been awesome, TJ. Uh, where can uh, before I let you go, uh, people uh, find you on the social medias? Yeah, I, um, so website is uh, golfawaytours.com. We have a lot of uh, you know great info on destinations there. If people are interested in a in a golf trip, and like I said, you, you got to plan well in advance now. Eighteen years, eighteen months, two years in advance. But um, so you know you can find us there. Uh, my Twitter is golfawaytj, um, and uh, and on on Instagram we're golfawaytours. So pretty easy to find us. Um, and yeah, I hope uh, hope some of your listeners are. Uh, interested in a golf trip love to chat with him that was a blast talking with tj rule about golf away tours some of his favorite places in the world to visit along with his amazing best golf shot ever i'm still reeling over that short putt i missed after my best shot in alabama as i mentioned he had a great tip for booking your golf trips well in advance and i should do that as well for when i qualify for the 2025 masters maybe i'll be given a 200 shot lead before the event perhaps Here's hoping that the Maple Leafs get on a playoff run because it would energize the city and get people fired up, much like how it was when the Raptors won the NBA title a few years ago and also when the Blue Jays made the ALCS two years in a row in the mid-2010s. Thank you for listening to episode 83, the Tiger Woods edition, he's going to win again, of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang.